The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to John. Jesus told his disciples, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, so that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you will know my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and we will be satisfied. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you all this time, Philip, and you still do not know me? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own. But the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me, that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. But if you do not, then believe me because of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do, and in fact, will do greater works than these, because I am going to the Father. I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If in my name you ask me for anything, I will do it. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. In the name of God, who was and is and is to come. Please be seated. My name is Mally Lloyd, and I am on the bishop's staff. I work down at 138 Tremont Street in Boston. And um, I'm called the Canon to the Ordinary, my title. Basically, it's being the bishop's chief of staff, his eyes and ears, and troubleshooter at some times. I oversee the diocesan budget. I oversee the staff and I do whatever they ask me to do almost. But it's really great to be able to come to a church where there really is no trouble, right? (laughs) Healthy, wholesome, pretty happy, moving forward with your clergy confident enough in your abilities and math that they have gone off on vacation and sabbatical and left you to your own devices. So thank you for giving me this opportunity to just come and be with you and chat with you a little bit about what I think the scriptures are telling us today. So what are the scriptures telling us today? This passage that we have from the Gospel of John, do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions, dwelling places. I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, you may be also. 
I don't know when I, about you, but when I hear these words, I'm transported back to almost every funeral I've ever been to or presided over, where those words spoken through the church provide comfort and solace to those of us who are bereaved. It's wonderful to know that Jesus has come to take our loved one to where he is. It's wonderful to know that there's a special place prepared just for that person, waiting for him or her as he crosses over to the other side. It's so comforting to know that our loved one is in God's hands. It's also comforting to know that there's a place prepared for you and for me, don't you think? That when the time comes, Jesus will come and get us and take us to wherever it is, even though we might not know the way like Thomas, Jesus will take us there to that dwelling place as close to our lost loved ones as we care to be, perhaps. So when I hear this passage on a Easter Sunday morning, I'm not always thinking about resurrection and new life and joy in the way that the Easter season invites. I'm often thinking about long-departed loved ones and where they are and what their life is like. There's one problem. There's always a problem with me in Scripture. You don't know that yet. When you get to the end of that passage where Thomas says, we don't know the way, and Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Probably not the way Jesus said it, But that's the way that passage is used, isn't it? It's a punitive, angry, you're out and I'm in. No one comes to the Father but by me. I've stopped reading that phrase at funerals now. I just can't do it. I'm going to tell you a little story about why. And then I'm going to tell you a few things about what I've learned from studying this passage a little deeper. So here's the story. In 1993, we buried my cousin Dan. Dan died alone in an apartment near Symphony Hall of AIDS in 1993. We had to get the police when he didn't answer his phone to go and find out what happened. And there he was, alone and dead. His mother, my aunt, and his friends put together a funeral service that reflected both the prayer book of his childhood and the man that he had grown into being. A man that had a little trouble with the church, felt a little bit ignored by the church, to put it mildly, a little bit let down by the church. And as I stood to read that gospel, I looked out over a sea of his friends who were burying their whole generation. They were going to funeral after funeral, four and five a month, burying friend after friend. And it was just six or 12 months later that the uh, chemical cocktail that made victims of AIDS be able to live longer was developed. I don't remember whether you remember that time in the 80s and the 90s and how just tragic it was to lose all those folks. So I stood there in the middle of St. Paul's Church in Dedham and started reading, Let Not Your Hearts Be Troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. I go to prepare a place for you. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I had to stop. 
because I could not impose on these people who have been rejected by the church, ignored by society, shunned by their families. I could not have them feel rejected again. I just couldn't do it. So I didn't. And I haven't ever since. The church is a welcoming place. You say that in your, you have a wonderful mission statement on your website, which is fabulous, by the way. You say that Trinity Church in Concord promotes the diversity of thought in a safe environment for all people who seek the love of God. You nurture your spiritual growth and challenge each other to grow deeper in faith while respecting each person's personal journey. You know that in a situation like that, we don't want to put up walls. We want to welcome people deeper into knowing the love of God, the place they hold in Jesus' heart. So I've done a little bit of exploring. Why would Jesus say that? Why would Jesus be so welcoming in one sentence and seemingly so rejecting in the next? So I'm going to give you four things that I've been thinking about for you to think about. You may know them already. You may be annoyed by some of them, but just bear with me and and we'll see if at the end they might be things that you could latch on to. So when we have a passage like this one from John or the one from 1 Peter, which is also... uh, you're on the inside and they're on the outside kind of passage, you might be curious to explore more about what these passages mean. So I have four things. First of all, the Gospel of John, we think, was written 50 or 60 years after the death of Jesus. And within two two generations, the year 70, after Jesus' death, the temple in Jerusalem had been destroyed. Now, those of you who have taken ESM, this will all sound very familiar to you, right? The temple was destroyed. The Jewish sects scattered around the eastern Mediterranean. And at the same time, the next generation following, the Jewish sects started infighting. Were the Jesus followers the way? Or were the Pharisees and the other folks the way? And the Jesus followers were being expelled from the synagogues. So John's gospel is really about a family feud within a small sect of Judaism in the eastern Mediterranean very, very early in time. Leading to point number two, this is not about a world religion. This is not a battle of Islam versus Christianity or Judaism versus Buddhism. This is a little teeny family fight. And in those family fights, You get people saying, just arguing with each other. Jesus is the Messiah. Is not, is too, is not. And John is writing the is too argument. Jesus is the son of the father. Is not, is too. And so in very beautiful language, out of the sandbox, comes this passage put into Jesus' words or transcribing Jesus' words to help this little community that's been kicked out of their synagogue after their temple's been destroyed to help them understand what following Jesus means, how to be in relationship with God now that God is no longer in the temple and they can't even worship in the synagogue. This is supposed to be a comfort. Leading to point number three, which is when you're in a family feud, that never happens in your families, does it? Sometimes the arguments are not at the highest level, right? 
you get this kind of overgeneralization, all or nothing thing. You never loved me. You never think I'm right. You have all the marbles. You know, you know how it gets. To make your point, you might exaggerate a little bit. Right? Happens occasionally. And you overgeneralize. You say, all the such and such are such and such. You know, all of those cousins, you know, all her children, oh, bad seed, not one of them, good one in the bunch, right? You get so that you're generalizing, you're all or nothing thinking to make your point. And there are several places in scripture where the writers could be accused of or commended for using that method of getting their point across. They might John's writer might have been overstating it a little bit to make his point. No one comes to the Father but by me. It's okay, you guys. We're all right out here in our little um, thrown-out-of-the-synagogue group. We're okay. We can still get to the Father. So I think that was point number four. No, point number four is coming. Here we go. So we have the... It's a sect. It's not a world religion. It's a family feud and might be a little bit exaggerated in its writing. Number four is to think about where it's placed in the Gospel of John. Why is it here? What is Jesus saying? What is the point of the bigger picture? Well, as you probably know, because people have probably been preaching it to you for years, this is part of Jesus' farewell discourse. This is Jesus' last will and testament, his last chance to teach, his last gift to his disciples. So he's washed their feet. He's given them communion. And Judas has just left to betray him. And he's just told Peter that Peter will deny him. Let not your hearts be troubled. I'm going away. You can't come with me right now. But I go to prepare a place for you. And in the next passage, he's going to say, while I'm gone, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit, the advocate. You are not going to be alone. You're okay. And the interesting thing about all of Scripture is that we both don't know the end of the story yet as Jesus is talking, and we do know the end of the story by the time the gospel is written. So there's that comfort piece. It's okay. You don't know yet what's coming. I'm trying to tell you. And the confidence piece after the resurrection of knowing that Jesus rises. There's new life, victory over death. So that plays into the way this is written, too. It's in the middle of a bigger passage that fluctuates between the comfort and the fear and the scaredness and the knowing that everything is going to turn out better than anyone could have expected. So I can't go into an explanation like that at every funeral. It really wouldn't be appropriate, would it? It's hard to take on a Sunday morning when you're, you know, we're not focusing on our deceased loved ones. So I don't say that. I don't say it because those words get used instead of inspiration for faith as indictment. And we don't want to be indicting people in church. Well, sometimes maybe it's good to think about your sinfulness, but most of the time, and especially at a funeral, not. On the other hand, these words do give those of us who have chosen to be followers of Jesus They give us something to hang our hats on, something to grow into. I imagine that out there, as in here, there are people who are wondering, who is this Jesus? 
or on the other end of the spectrum, just so grateful and washed over with the love of Christ. We're not all giants of the faith, confident every second of the day that Jesus is my Lord. Jesus is the way. This is the thing to do. I'm going to follow Jesus. We like to try. We come together in community to give it our best effort. We bolster each other up. We share tidbits of scripture that are helpful. But for the most part, we need to hear those words from Jesus with a sense of confidence. One of the other things that you have on your fabulous website as um, Trinity Church Concord is an Episcopal church that invites everyone to experience the transforming love of God through the grace of Jesus Christ and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Trinity Church Concord is that inviting place, that empowering place, that place where we can say Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life as an invitation to understand, to come to understand what it means to say No one comes to the Father but by me. So I am so grateful to what you have on your web for what you have on your website and how you are opening your doors and inviting people to think and struggle with you on your journey to understand that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Amen. Amen.